Okay, so now I pushed record. I'm going to see if we have a smudge bass in our microphones as we did yesterday. I have drums, bass, tenor, sax, and electric guitar, lead singer. Okay, well, we'll just leave that. Usually I cut all that stuff out. Let's just leave it in. Let's get real here. And Mark, I'm proposing another hike tonight. So like a physical hike. I'm proposing that we walk about two hours before the sun sets. What if we started walking south and we went all the way to where the sea lions look up at us and say, what are you doing here? This is not for people. Well, I think the sea lions are north, not south. You know what? You're absolutely right. Let's change the subject now. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. There's going to be no sea lions climbing up and over fishing rock. Yes, I will try to walk as long as I can. Of course, a doctor recently said that knee, it's worn out. It's going sideways, so you're opting for the brace and not the surgery. Yes, at least right now. Okay, I'm going to miss you on the long walks. I will do what I can. I will do what All I right. can. But I can be in on this okay. hike. You are here for the more important hikes, these scripture hikes. So good deal. Well, here we are. Philippians 2, what do you have? Well, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. And I think the word if there is not a word that expresses doubt. Okay. It's like sense there. Correct. Yeah. There is a lot of encouragement in Christ. In fact, all genuine encouragement is in Christ alone, if you think about it. Because it's through Christ that we have everything to look forward to in eternity and in Christ that the experience is really in this life. This is going to be as painful as life ever gets for the Christian. Yes, and we're connecting this back to chapter 1. In about verse 27, you see that united front, be of same mind, same spirit, right? Kind of that same stress. And I think this chapter is saying, well, here's how you do that. Here's how you maintain that sort of unity. That is, look around, look at the encouragement you have in Christ. Look at the fellowship created by the Spirit, this new family, this church that you're a part of. Look at all the blessings due to the unselfishness of Jesus. Look at what that mindset can achieve and apply it. Yeah. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, what do you think about that? Well, it's not, I think, I don't know why it is. I think of the word consolation, I think consolation prize. Mm-hmm. not saying that. He's saying, uh, is, is there encouragement in Christ? Well, yeah. Is there comfort in Christ? Is there yeah. consolation, so to speak, for the hard things that you're going through? Well, yeah. yeah. Is there amazing fellowship or unity or community? Yes. Notice how it's all keyed to, you did not invent this, and man right. did not invent this. It's all from, or it originates really from the love of God that he has for us, and that results in the love that we have for one another, and the fellowship that we are in the same spiritual family, listening to that same voice, and aspire to the same goals to glorify God by living accordingly. I mean, that's what our fellowship is all about. It's way more than biscuits, Mark. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it more is. than biscuits and gravy, okay? It is. So in verse 2, he says, Make my joy complete. Reminds me of 3 John 4. Uh, I have no greater love than to hear that you're walking in the truth. Paul said, The way that you can really make me happy is just 
live a faithful Christian life. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't really matter what you, you know, you know, what you do as a career. That's not as important as how you live on a daily basis. Then he says, being and having. I like that. Being mm-hmm. and having. Yeah. That's more than wishing. <laughs> okay. So then he says, uh, being of the same mind. Right. And Mark, isn't it true? Like God only requires of us what's possible, right? And so being of the same mind is thus possible, but only if we listen to the words of the Spirit objectively and really with a willingness to release all preconceived ideas like wishful thinking and no matter what the sacrifices are necessary to align ourselves with the Word of God. I mean, that's how you can achieve being of the same mind. It can be done, yes? Absolutely. There'd be no reason why he would say all this if it, well, it's impossible. And they were doing it. Church in Philippi was doing these things. And so it's like, the, here's, here's the fundamentals of unity. I love you the same way you love me. That is the same way God loves us. Okay. So you're talking on this sec- this phrase, maintaining the same love? Yeah. Okay. I love you as Christ loves you. And there's one purpose, and we're intent on that purpose. Interesting. Look at that verse there. It's not that you have a group of people that are loving and a group of people that are receiving the love. Uh-huh. And I think some groups are kind of based on that way of, hey, come here, and here's what we'll do for you. Or, well, what programs do you have for me? Uh, you guys, that's not the way it works, uh-huh. is that we're all here contributing. We're all here loving each other. There's no, like, we've got a group of people that dispenses all the love and a group of people that soaks it all up. Uh-huh. That's an unhealthy family, and that's an unhealthy society. It's more of a one-another kind of thing, and it reminds me, too, of 1 Peter 1, 22, when we're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. So, yes, there's passion there. There's fervency, but it comes from an, an entirely pure heart. You know, out in the world, Mark, it's uh, love is love, which is a slogan that means uh, lust is love. It also means that nothing's love then. If mm-hmm. it, it just if you can define it any way you want, then it kind of destroys any real concept of genuine love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then it then it's united in spirit. Yeah. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then I think verse three says, Okay, so here's what that means in a very practical level. Do nothing from selfishness. <laughs> right. I mean, it's all about the glory of God. That's the one purpose, Isaiah 43, 6 through 7, like through righteous living, the glory of God, Ephesians 2.10. Yeah. What can destroy unity quicker than anything else? Putting you yeah. at the center. Yeah. Um, so selfishness, also arrogance. Selfishness, mm-hmm. arrogance, mm-hmm. bitterness, oh, it says empty conceit. Yeah. Yeah. Just get rid of that. James talks about where you got you have selfish ambition. You got disorder, and you've got every evil thing. Years ago, someone noted that probably every sin, every moral evil is rooted in selfishness. It all really goes back to that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, Mark, about this, how we're all kind of wired from birth mm-hmm. to take every action in order to stay alive, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of human nature going on, um, so we want to stay alive by protecting and sustaining ourself and so maturity though in contrast to being a newborn is measured by our choosing to trust god to protect and sustain us and to imitate god by protecting and sustaining others just like jesus did so maturity can be measured by how selfless you are no matter who you are god expects you to do nothing from selfishness and there's that phrase do nothing Nothing. Just a little selfishness. 
can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, um, can I can I do this arrogantly or something? Yeah. Well, no, no. And so it's like, man, catch it at every single level. Now, selfishness is going to include faction where you kind of promote yourself and where you further your kingdom. And a lot mm-hmm. of division happens because someone wants to be the king. Someone wants their kingdom furthered. Yeah. And so selfishness is a lot of promoting self rather than promoting the gospel. You need to have self-respect. God says... Love others as you would love yourself. Right. And so to a degree, you are to have self-respect and a love for yourself, and you're going to take care of yourself for that reason. But to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So it's this balance of, yes, your soul is worth more than the entire world in the eyes of God. You have amazing intrinsic value as a human being, but do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought. And so, yeah, we do our kids a favor to help them see themselves clearly, you know, and to learn to be honest with themselves. And when they hit adulthood, you don't want it to be like when you go to college and you realize, but my parents said I was the best in the world or whatever. It's followed quickly by empty conceit, and I think that's self-imagined importance. It's empty because it's not grounded in reality. Uh, let God tell you how important you are. I mean, that, that's one of the great values of Scripture. You're not the center of the universe. People say, well, God would not be, want me to be unhappy, so that does that mean everyone else has to be unhappy right now? And then it says, also another phrase there, uh, but with humility of mind. Mm, a chosen mindset, right? Yes, only, only when we have an accurate view of God can we have an accurate view of ourselves. Mm, good point. It says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, before God, we all have, you might say, equal importance. That is, our souls are all equally value, but valuable. But this is kind of the daily life here of do not merely look out for your own personal interests, verse 4. Mm-hmm. You're not the sum total. And not only that, but you're going to miss out. Jesus talked about it's more blessed to give than receive. If you're just looking out for you, you're really going to miss out on life. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about this when I was looking at this phrase of regard one another as more important than yourselves. I was thinking about, you know, all the dynamics that we have on this earth between ourselves. So regardless of natural abilities regardless of achievements or network or certainly gender or race, that we are to consider one another more important than ourselves. If you are oh, Elon Musk and you have a waitress coming to your table, you're so, he is supposed to consider her more important than himself. And all of these dynamics, you know, you think of maybe an Olympic athlete that their trainer, they're supposed to think of them more highly than themselves. So all of these distinctions that we make do not count in the eyes of God. And you know what? The interests of others are our interests because if they go down, that affects me. Yeah. So here's the mindset that we are to have. In verse 5 says, okay, have this attitude or this mindset, and it's very specific, and we can choose this. We can adopt this, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Basically, it says, hey, take take a serious look at this mindset. Maybe, maybe first of all, you go like, oh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure about that, as people in the world would do. Like, well, if I'm thinking about putting other people ahead of me, what about me? But look at what this accomplished when Jesus mm. practiced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at how many people this benefited to this day. And then take a serious look at 
Okay, maybe you're out there listening to this and going, like, I, I don't know, I, I put me first. Okay, how, how's that working for you mm-hmm. across the board? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one technique for this, and I think we can see God doing this, is he looks upon the plight of mankind and he sends his son. Like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One technique, I think, if it's difficult for you to look out for another's interests and put their interests ahead of your own is... Put ourselves in like the other person's shoes and imagine what would it be like to be them so that we can do a better job of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, Matthew seven twelve. So that's one technique, like just imagine being in their shoes. And I think that really helps us tap into the natural compassion that God has put in each of us that we just need to keep in the forefront of our mind and not suppress, you know. So, yeah, if you're treating other people the way you would like to be treated, if, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, obviously you're going to be very compassionate and kind to other people. You're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. You're going to go the extra mile with them because you go the extra mile with yourself. But if I'm putting myself first and you're putting yourself first, we're going to collide. Yeah. And, and so you could see how everyone putting themselves first will destroy unity because mm-hmm. we're all just going to end up, all our interests are going to just collide. Yeah. But if I'm putting you first and you're putting me first, et cetera, you can see how um, that, that's going to work. I mean, that's going to be like a team. Yeah. We're going to be able to work on that. Well, when it said have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, I was thinking about how, you know, we can do all things through Christ Jesus. So not only is he our example in this, he's also the power that we can tap into to give us the ability to obtain and maintain this challenging mindset, you know, to put others ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, then it speaks of the attitude. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. In verse six, it says, um, or excuse me, verse five talks about have, that is possess it, practice it, uh, do more than talk about it. This attitude, and so I think he's going back to like the verses he had talked about in verses 1 and 2. So same love, same mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Well, here's kind of what that looks like. Yeah. It looks like God's will be done, not mine. And this is not impossible. You can do this. The demand here is not you got to heal like Jesus healed. <laughs> That's not the demand here. The, the expect, expectation, though, here is that you have to think the way he thought mm-hmm. and treat people the way he treated people. So then it talks about exactly what he did, right? In verse 6, who, here's Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we go from some real practical stuff to some really... It's theology. Uh, I mean, it's... Well, it, it's, it's real meaty, it's real heavy, but it's clearly understandable. But it's kind of one of those how much more things, too, right? Like, he did this, so certainly you're not being asked anything even close to this when you're putting others ahead of yourself. Yeah, and it's it, the text is to a bare minimum of every word matters mm-hmm. here. And this is would be another area where we could see that the Bible is inspired because there, is no, there are no extra or useless terms mm-hmm. in any of this. So it says Jesus. Okay, that who? Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, and existed is, Jesus is in the form of God from eternity. He's the essence of God. He is as God, he's much, he's as much divine as the Father is divine. 
He's always been that way, John 1, 1. He was that way when he was upon the earth. He was still in the form of God and as far as being God in the flesh. And then when in heaven now, he is still in the form of God. So that existed is before he arrived, during his arrival, and afterwards. And form of God is the essence or and very nature of God, or we mm. might say, what makes God, God? Mm. All the things that make God, God, Yes, he's got all of that. So Colossians, a book we're going to get to, will say, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Mm-hmm. That is the fullness of deity. So here we have Jesus from eternity, God. N- not a God, Mark, regardless of what the Watchtower Society says in their New World Translation. Correct. Uh, because, uh, I mean, well, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 talks about him being the very, you know, the very essence of the Father's glory. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're going to make Jesus a created being, that's going to bring the Father pretty close to a created being as well. Oh, good point. So, yeah, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he is flawless in his goodness and, and all the qualities that we can read about that are in the Heavenly Father. Then it says that he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or selfishly hoarded or clung to at all. Mm-hmm. So he releases that. He has that equality, but he lets go of it for a moment. Yeah, and I think I think there, it's not that he stops being God, but what he's letting go of the privileges that come along with that. That is, in John seventeen three, he will say, Father, give me the glory I had with you before the world was. That is, he's saying... Okay, here I am with the Father, face-to-face communion with the Father in heaven. I'm going to give that up mm-hmm. and, and come to dirty, dusty Palestine yeah. <laughs> and, be, and be born and put in a manger. And it says he emptied himself. Yeah, live in a world without indoor plumbing and electricity and air conditioning and, yeah, and allow myself to be abused by people. Yeah, that empty himself really, really impresses me because I was – Thinking about as you put on Christ, and you know, we're supposed to be putting on the qualities of Christ as we mature in our walk with God. Is it not the assignment of every human to follow the, his supreme example in doing the same thing for the good of those around us? Like that's maturity again, emptying yourself. Well, if remember that section of do not merely look out for your own personal interests, and a person says, Well, what about me? Okay. The only person that really has ever had a right to say, but what about me, mm, is Jesus yeah. <laughs> or the Father or the Holy Spirit, okay? Yeah. And yet he did not have that attitude. When it says he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his divine nature. Right. But um, because he asserted his equality with the Father on earth. I mean, he would say, all men need to honor the Son just like they honor the Father. Or he told the disciples, hey— you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right. chapter 14, verse 9. Right. So he doesn't change nature or essence, but he does change roles. Right. So it's taking, it says, taking the form of a bond servant. That's mind-blowing. God himself opting for lowliness. I think the thought is, if we don't empty ourselves of our self-importance, we will become empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, run into a lot of arrogant people, and they're they're pretty empty individuals. And insisting on your own rights. What about my rights? And you're going to miss serving others. Mm -hmm. And so we have Jesus taking the form, the essential nature of a servant. Yeah. In fact, the only person in the universe that ever really had a right to insist upon his rights, and he waved them. 
Amazing, amazing. And look to the degree that he empties himself. It says, um, and being in, made in the likeness of men. New American Standard, at least the one I have, says being found in appearance as a man. I think okay. that's a really good way to, when people saw Jesus, they saw a man. They right. didn't see someone with a halo around his head or uh-huh. a glow about him, but he was more. Well, in the Psalms, some of the Psalms say that he wasn't even necessarily physically attractive, that we'd be drawn to him in that way. Yeah, Isaiah 53, I think, about verse 1 and 2 has okay. that phrase, there was nothing about him. He did not look kingly, I guess yeah. you would say that. Um, right. You know, I mean, there are some people that just have that, I know what he called charmer. Regal and regal look about them. Yeah. Now, they may not be regal at all, but you uh-huh. know, they got the teeth or the chin or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, Jesus was not like that. What drew people to Jesus is what he taught. Right. And, and so it says, character. being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Then it goes on to say, how obedient? To the point of death. I mean, that's ultimately obedient right even death on a cross so not just death by lethal injection or whatever dying in your sleep no even death on a cross excruciatingly obedient yeah i mean you know people found him as a man i mean they would say is not this the carpenter's son mm-hmm. you know people just viewed him that way mm-hmm. but you're right he humbled himself Second corinthians 8 9 says um he became poor so that we would become rich Wow. Is that phrase there? And we can easily miss death on a cross because we're not used to that. We don't live in a world where you go down the highway and there are people hanging on crosses. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's torture. It's humiliating. Um, Let's just say it's just about the worst possible way to die. Oh, yeah. To be certain. And the thing that amazes me about crucifixion is the fact that it only, you know how the scriptures talk about that he died at the right time? Mm -hmm. The window of time with which crucifixion was used throughout history was a very narrow window of time. But Christ comes at the right time so that he's able to fulfill these prophecies written about crucifixion long before crucifixion even existed as a method of capital punishment. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a number of prophecies like that that had a very limited time window. Yeah. All right, Mark. So what do you say we take up in verse 9, where we're leaving off here? Yeah. All right. And thank you to our listeners for joining us.